In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We'll study today Psalm 30 from the Psalms of David. So I want you to turn your Bibles to Psalm David. Psalm, sorry, Psalm 30, 30. Each Psalm has a title. And the title of this psalm is A Psalm, a song at the dedication of the house of David. A song at the dedication of the house of David. This dedication was much disputed by commentators. Some thought it was written for the dedication of David's house. Some thought that it was written prophetically for the dedication of the temple because David prepared everything for the temple but Solomon his son built it. Others refer the psalm to dedication of the second temple under Zerubbabel. And there are others who thought it was rededication of David's house to purify it after it had been defiled by the wicked conduct of his son, Absalom. According to Pope Athanasius the Apostolic, this psalm was sung by David when he knew that God has forgiven his sin, and when by repentance his soul, which is the house of God, is renewed. St. Gregory sees the psalm as a prophecy about our Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power of his resurrection has renewed our human nature, being his own dwelling place, being his own house. And according to St. Gregory, this psalm is also prophecy about what was going to happen to King Hezekiah, whom God is going to deliver from the threat of the of Sanharib, as you read it in Second Kings chapter 19, and also to extend his life 15 more years, as we read in Second Kings chapter 20, and to save the temple from the enemies. Psalm 30 is an expression of thanksgiving for recovery from a dangerous and nearly fatal sickness and a reflection on the lessons which it was sent to teach. So it's a reflection, expression of thanksgiving after recovery from a, a, a very serious uh, fatal situation and a reflection on the lessons that this son, uh, yeah, this experience is teaching. Actually, from Psalm 30 to Psalm 34, these psalms, five psalms, are psalms of thanksgiving. And the title, as I said, it's called A Psalm, A Song. So the double use of the word a psalm, a song, implies the use of string musical instrument. Because psalms were chanted, with string 
musical instrument. And then the repetition and a song means with the string musical instrument, there were other instruments. That's why he said a psalm, a song. So they used string musical instrument beside other instruments when it was sung in the temple. And the author, a psalm of David, the author is David. This psalm also is one of the psalms of the third hour of the Agbiya. And also, when Abuna and the clergy uh, put on his vestment for the divine liturgy, they chant this psalm, Psalm 30. The outline of psalm from verse 1, it's, it's a short psalm, 12 verses. From verse 1 to 3, offering thanks to God for his deliverance. 4 to 5, David calls upon the saints to give thanks to God. 6 to 7, David's testimony. 8 to 10, a prayer for mercy. And 11 to 12, thanksgiving for the joyful answer to prayer. So let's start, start from uh, verse 1. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. So the obvious, obvious goal of the psalmist is to glorify the Lord who saved him from the pit and the grave. St. Ambrose says, The saint exalts the Lord the sinners humbles the Lord. The Lord by nature is high in his name. He is the most high. And in his nature, there is none beside him nor like him. He dwells in the highest. He dwells in the holy place. He dwells in the holy of the holies. He is above all. So when we say, we say, I will extol you, extol means to declare him to be what he is. Declaration of who God is. And also, extol him means to exalt him in numerous great praises, as the psalmist determined to do in many psalms. According to St. Augustine, it is Christ who is speaking when he said, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. As if Jesus is saying, I will praise thy high majesty, O Lord, God the Father, for thou hast taken me up and those who have often endeavored to oppress me with various persecutions throughout the world, thou hast not made to rejoice over me. You did not let them to rejoice over me. For you have lifted me up 
This explains the core reason for David's praise. He knew that his safety and well-being and reputation were the work of God. And he was on the verge of death, but God delivered him and have not let his foes rejoice over him. For David, this was a significant part of God's victory on his behalf. Have not let my foes, my enemies, rejoice over me. David was constantly confronted by foes, King Saul, Absalom his son, many others. But God protected him and gave him victory. There are always enemies who rejoice over the suffering of the righteous people and who wish them ill. Satan rejoices over unyielding and unrepentant sinners when he possesses their hearts. David lived his life in prayer and dependent on God. That's why in verse 2 he said, O Lord my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. So David left a prayerful dependence upon God. David cried out and prayed unto God and God helped him. The word healed me used metaphorically for the removal of the fears and troubles of his mind which are often compared to diseases. And now it is called disease of anxiety or disease of stress. Or maybe also David had a very dangerous illness of his body because the original word that's used may mean either the healing of bodily disorder as also the same word was used in Psalm 103, verse 3, or the same word may mean a happy change of a person's concern by the removal of any kind of distress, personal or national. And no doubt there were great many times when David received healing from God from both physical illness and injury and from a stressful situation. So the idea of healing in verse 2 is broad enough to include the sense of God's help and rescue from any great need. God is the physician, as we say in the litany for the sick, O true physician of our souls and bodies. And he has the healing of our whole being in his hand. As we read in Exodus 15, verse 26, the Lord said, For I am the Lord who heals you. Verse 3, O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. So, 
David's deliverance is a kind of resurrection from the grave. He had been in imminent danger of death and had been brought from the edge grave. Under Saul, King Saul, he was frequently in the most imminent danger of his life, out of which God wonderfully and miraculously has brought him out. That's why he said, he said, you have kept me alive. This he asked to explain the former phrase when he said, O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. Maybe this ambiguous. So he explained what he means. You have kept me alive. That I should not go down to the pit, to the grave, which is frequently called pit in the Old Testament. So, in its literal meaning, this verse could not be written of David. But it is a prophecy about our Lord Jesus Christ, who came down to the pit of Hades to save from the authority of darkness and to bring us all the righteous who were in Hades to the kingdom of light. St. Augustine says, the pit is the profundity of this world. Then he says, what mean I by the profundity of the world? He said, the answer to this question, the abundance of luxury and wickedness. So for St. Augustine, the pit is the abundance of luxury and wickedness. They therefore, who immense themselves in the lusts and in the carnal desires, they go down into the pit. End of quote. David speaks with confidence in God's work of salvation with him based upon actual experiences that happened to him. Verse 4. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. So, this is an invitation to the godly and the righteous to join in thanksgiving in view of those attributes of God which the psalmist has just explained and he experienced. So now he is calling all the righteous to sing praises to the Lord. As in, in many psalms, he called others to praise the Lord. For example, in Psalm 9, verse 11, Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. Psalm 22:23, You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him, all you offspring of Israel. Why he invites others? By this invitation, the psalmist does not separate his personal worship from the collective or the communal worship. He does not separate between his godly life from the holy life of the church because we are members in one body. If I am rejoicing, if I am praising, then the rest of the body, the rest of the righteous should be praising and glorifying God. Sing to the Lord, 
all that truly are his sins. But how? Not with the mouth only, but more importantly, with a pure heart and spirit. And then he said, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. Every time you hear his holy name, give thanks to him. Why? Because through the remembering of the work of God in all generations and also in my personal life, that's why every time I hear the name of the Lord, I should give thanks to him. So the psalmist calls the believers, the saints, to give thanks. And I want you to notice he called them saints here. Although holiness concerned Lord alone, but God granted holiness to his people to practice holy life. Be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. Upon the remembrance of his holy name, which appears in all his ways and works of deity and grace, and both in the redemption and sanctification of his people, And also, there is the holiness of Christ. Christ came to fulfill the righteousness of the law so that his righteousness will be attributed to us. His holiness will be attributed to us. And also, we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit who is working in us. And at the remembrance of each of these When you remember either the name of the Lord or any of his works, this should make the saints to give thanks to the Lord because we are partakers of his kingdom and his glory. Then after calling the people of God to praise the Lord, David gives them more reasons why we should praise the Lord. Verse 5, another reason. Why we should praise him. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. So, David, he rejoiced that although the anger of God may be real, but it is short and momentary when we repent the anger is gone when we confess our sins and we pray for mercy then his favor his acceptance his pleasure is lasting for life his favor is enduring it continues all their life so the anger is for a moment but his favor enduring for life. This shows to us how great our God is. He cannot delight in the despair of his people. When God afflicts or discipline, it is for our advantage that we may be partakers of his holiness and not to be condemned with the world. So, David's description of God's slowness to anger 
and readiness to save is given by a man, David, long and deeply acquainted with God as his judge and his father. So David experienced God as a judge when God disciplined David. But he experienced him also as a father. So David experienced the anger of God for a moment, but he experienced the favor of God which endures forever. So, yes, there were many tearful nights, but these tearful nights were followed by joyful mornings. Perhaps with the recognition that the mercies of God to his people are new every morning, as we read in Lamentation chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. The weeping believer may be confident that as he keeps his focus on God, he will bring him once again to joy. When we weep and we cry before the Lord, he will tell us, your faith has saved you, as he said to the sinful woman. Weeping may continue for a night, and it might be an exhausting night, yet as sure as the light of the morning returns, after the darkness of the night, joy and comfort are so sure will return in a short time, and in due time to the people of God. St. Gregory, paraphrasing Isaiah, says, I give you up to punishment, and I will help you. In a little wrath, I struck you, and in everlasting pity, I will glorify you. For greater than the measure of my correction is the measure of my loving kindness. So my loving kindness is greater than my correction. Also, this verse may reflect the image of suffering and exaltation of Christ. He spent the night of death, but the morning of resurrection. Verse 6. Now in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. So in verse 6, David begins to describe uh, uh, the deliverance in respect of which the thanksgiving is offered. So explaining what was the situation from which God delivered him. But what was the offense that David committed so that God actually was angry with David? He said, in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Which means he relied on what? He relied on his prosperity. He said, I will not be moved. Uh, And this offense of lips, I will not be moved, it came from a prideful heart, evil attitude of the heart. Prosperity had wicked effect on the psalmist and made him self-confident and proud. He said, I will not be moved. His heart was lifted up in a spirit of self-glorification. And one time he wanted to know the strength of his kingdom 
forgetting to depend on God. So he gave command to number the people. And the result of this was a plague and the death of 70,000 persons. According to St. Basil the Great, David's fall into sin came to be the result of his pride. Peace and prosperity seduced the heart of David and led him to believe that his mountain, his dominion, stood so strong that adversary, adversity could never affect him. I shall never be moved. But David found himself mistaken and acknowledged and confessed that the strength of his life and kingdom not was not due, due to his prosperity, but the grace of God. That's why in verse 7, he said, Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. So, yes, in my prosperity, I said, my prosperity, I shall not be moved. But now, after your discipline and your correction, I realize it, that by your favor, you have made my mountain, my kingdom, stand strong. Yes, you hit your face, and I was troubled. So, hitting his face means allowing David to be disciplined. So, without the constant sustaining work of God, that's hiding his face. David was deeply troubled. David was completely dependent upon the presence of God, upon the fellowship with him, upon the grace of God. But St. Ambrose has a nice comment about this. He said, if David is to be blamed, if we are going to blame David right now, if in the midst of his holiness, David was a very righteous and holy man, he was sometimes puffed up. Maybe we can say he has an excuse with all this holiness and righteousness. What is to be said about us miserable sinners? who go so far beyond the David in our presumption and fall so far short of him, of David, in our merits. So he says, we although we are very, very low in our merits if we compare ourselves with David, but in pride we go above and beyond the David. So before blaming David, Let's blame ourselves. In his trouble, when the Lord hid his face from David, and he was aware that God had departed from him, how David reacted to this? David did not seek others, but he cried to the Lord. That's why in verse 8 he said, after he said, you hid your face and I was troubled, in my reaction to this, I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. So, this actually show his love to God and some degree of faith in him by looking again toward the holy mountain, toward the holy temple, 
waiting upon God to return and to have mercy upon him and to shine with his face on him. I made supplication in the most humble manner entreating God's mercy and grace and that he would again show David his face and favor. And then he made argument with the Lord. Verse 9. He said to the Lord, I cried out to the Lord and uh, to the Lord I made supplication. What he made in his supplication? He said, What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? So David, in his prayer, after he was in a life-threatening situation, he made a rational argument to the Lord, knowing that he would certainly praise God if he escaped death. But what about if I did not escape death? I am uncertain if I could praise God from the pit or from the dust of the grave. As if David saying, God, death will not glorify your mercy. I am asking you not to let the sword come against me. Because when I am saved and forgiven, this will declare to the whole world your mercy, your love, and your truth. According to St. Athanasius, the apostolic, he said, those words of verse 9 are a prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ, who went down to grave, but not without profit. The verse says, what profit is there in my blood? Definitely there is a profit in the blood of Jesus. Uh, for by so doing, he gained, according to Sanasius, he gained the whole world and restored to us the joy of salvation. So there is profit in no blood except in the blood of Jesus Christ, by which peace is made, forgiveness and redemption are obtained. St. Jerome said, it is the lamentation of Christ that his passion had been endured in vain, that so few bitten by the fiery serpent of temptation would look to this, the bronze serpent, and live. So very few would flee to that cross for refuge to lay hold on the hope then set before them. So as if St. Jerome is saying, although in the blood of Jesus there is profit, there is forgiveness, salvation, to every single man in the world, but unfortunately, very few will benefit from this, because few will be saved. So as if the Lord is making lamentation and say, what profit is there in my blood? Yes, there is a profit, but people will not benefit from it, because only few will be saved. Only few will accept me when I go down to the pit, where the dust praise you, where it declare your truth. St. Ambrose says, Is it possible that Christ would condemn you, he who saved you from death, and delivered himself a sacrifice 
for your sake when he knew that it is your life you would acquire by his death? Will he not say what profit is there in my blood if I condemn him whom I save? Moreover, thinking of him as a judge and not as an intercessor, would it be possible for him to issue a harsh verdict when he perpetually seeks for us to have the grace of reconciliation with the Father? So San Ambrose is saying, do you think that Christ would love to condemn you after he saved you? So, why did he die on the cross? Why he endured all of this? As if he would say, what profit in my blood if I will condemn those whom I saved on the cross? So he's giving us hope. The sinners, if we return to God, definitely he will not condemn us. He's awaiting to save us and to give us the kingdom of heaven. So even though David prayed with rational reason, but in a greater sense, he simply relied on the mercy of God. He did not rely just on this rational and logical reason. That's why in verse 10 he said, Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. So, uh, He offered, David offered to God many good reasons for him to answer his prayers. But beyond all these reasons, he simply asked for mercy. He is asking God to be his helper. David knew that in this time of trouble, vain was the help of of men. He was entirely in the right to humble himself before the Lord, who was able to help him when no one else could. So David in his mind, if I humble myself before the Lord, God will help me when nobody else will stand next to me. That's why he said, in the time of trouble, the help of men is in vain, is vain, is nothing. But it is the mercy of God and the help of God. Verse 11. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. That's why I told you, we pray the psalm when we put on the vestment because of this verse. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. And also when the Holy Spirit dwell on the disciples in the third hour, he empowered them and they became a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. and, and this verse, you have turned it for me, my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness by the descent of the Holy Spirit. That's why we read the psalm in the third hour of the Agbaya. So, 
in due time, God delivered David out of his troubles and restored him to his former prosperity. His prayers were answered, and his mourning was turned into dancing. From putting on sackcloth to being clothed with gladness, and from silence to singing praises to God. David changed the sackcloth of repentance that clothed his body into a festive garment to partake of a joyful celebration and spiritual dancing. That's why we put on the white vestment, because now in the divine liturgy we are partaking of joyful celebration and spiritual dancing. Changing the outer garment reveal an inner change in the soul of the psalmist, whose prayer was heard and moved from repentance to thanksgiving and joy. This might be true of David delivered from his adversity, but also it is true of Christ when he rose from the tomb. These words apply to the resurrection, when the scope and horror of the tomb were turned into joy, the Lord is risen indeed. Also, this verse is true of every repentant, exchanging his sackcloth for the garment of salvation. Every believer, on arriving at the heavenly kingdom from this valley of tears here in the world, can most justly claim you have turned for me my mourning on earth into dancing in heaven. You have put off my sackcloth in the valley of tears here on earth and clothed me with gladness in the kingdom of heaven. St. Augustine says, You have torn off the veil of my sins, the sadness of my mortality, and have girded me with the first robe with the immortal gladness. David, his complaints turned into praises. So, in the last verse, he said, To the end, that my glory may sing praise to you and not to be silent. To the end, that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So, he regarded that God strengthened him with gladness to the end. King David revealed the primary reason for God's transforming work in his life. This transformation, this salvation that God granted. Why? Why God? In order for us, as was for David, to praise the Lord and not to be silent. So praises comes as a result of understanding what God had done for us. He turned our mourning into dancing. He put off our sackcloth and put on vestments of gladness. King David closed this psalm for the dedication of his house 
with a determination to thank God forever. Because of the victory of cross, every good man shall sing of his praise forever. God will rightly be thanked and praised forever. St. Augustine made a comment on verse 12, that now, not my humiliation, but my glory, should not lament, but should sing unto you, for that now out of humiliation you have exalted me, and that I should not be bricked with the consciousness of sin, with the fear of death, with fear of judgment. And this is my glory, O Lord my God, that I shall confess unto you forever that I have nothing of myself, but that all my good is of you who are God all in all. So, St. Augustine saying, not in my humiliation, not in my tears, but with my glory, the glory that I received because you saved me. In this glory, not with a conscience pierced with the consciousness of sin, but and the fear of death and fear of judgment, but now this glory, because you give me this salvation, I will confess unto you forever, and I have nothing uh, of myself, but I know that all good comes from you because you are God who are all in all. This actually concludes Psalm 30. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.